Employee experience is almost always a lead indicator of customer experience. You know, it's not just hardware, software, it's mindware. I think those four circles now become the Venn diagram, the image of what we'll do in HR. Business, HR, change, and IT. Hello everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Atomic Conversations. Every fortnight, we interview a top HR, IT, and business leader about the new world of work that we are now part of and try to find out how to build the digital employee experiences of the future. This is your host, Sairam Krishnan, from the founding team of Atomic Work, the startup that's bringing this podcast to you. And I welcome you to the very first episode. Our first guest is very special and we wanted it to be that way. Dave Ulrich is known as the father of modern HR and HR leaders across the world go to him to understand what's happening and what's going to happen. He teaches at the University of Michigan Business School and is co-founder and partner of the RBL Group. His work would fill up entire libraries. These include more than 200 articles and over 30 books. His work has helped transform the talent management industry from a back office operation to a critical part of an organization's strategy. He is also the recipient of the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Institute of Management Studies. It was a great honor and pleasure to bring him on our show and it was a delightful conversation filled with nuggets that are immediately useful. Let's get to it then. And once again, welcome to Atomic Conversations. Thank you so much for speaking to us, Dave. It's such a privilege to be sitting in front of you and asking you these questions. Thank you for speaking to us. Sai, thank you so much. It's such an honor to be with you. Thank you so much. Right. We've been huge fans of your stuff and, and, you know, all of the writing that you've done, everything that you've done in the HR community. And so, like, we are very excited to ask you these questions. Uh, we lead off with this, you know, right now, it's a different world than what we saw in 2021, 22. What do you think are the major problems that HR is facing today? And I say problems with, it, it's a heavy word, but I, but I mean that, especially in the new hybrid environment. I know you don't like the words, the new normal. So I'm saying hybrid. I uh, just wanted to start off with that. Yeah, it's a great question, Sai. And in some ways, there's a great line in French, and I'm sure it translates into your language as well. Plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. The more it changes, the more it's the same. Some of the world we live in today is timeless. People work, they have motives to work, they decide where they work. And so a lot of those issues that we say, it's all a new normal, it's, it's a lot of what we've done before. And we're managing some of that world in a different way. There are some contextual changes that are changing. Obviously, the pandemic in India and around the world affected billions of people in a huge way. It was a major, major shift in the world. Now, post-pandemic, we're seeing an emotional malaise, mental health, employee primacy. We're seeing an advent of technology. This is an example. I think pre-2020, I didn't do very many Zoom calls or chat calls and international calls like this. We're seeing more of those. We live and work in our offices. We have hybrid work. We're seeing an increased sense of responsibility for the environment, ESG, getting a lot of attention. All of those issues for me are around the theme of uncertainty. We don't know very well what the next step may be. Will it be inflation? Will it be recession? Will it be growth? Will it be global? Will it be local? And learning to navigate in that new world becomes a real shift for all of us. Yeah, great points you bring up, Dave. So, like, one of the things that we are thinking about is how is HR going to adapt? How should they be prepping, especially HR leaders and professionals? There's just so much uncertainty, as you pointed out. And that uncertainty sometimes boils down to the level of the individual employee. How should HR be prepping to sort of address that? 
you know, one of the things we found, and some of it's a same idea that's been around, the principles are the same, the practices, is that for me, number one, HR has to create value. If HR is not creating value, it's not going to be sustainable. And so the line that we've used today, and it's an evolution of the past, is that HR is not about HR. HR is about the creation of value for the key stakeholders, not only inside the company. HR doesn't just serve the employees and the business leaders. It also serves today the customers. If a company doesn't succeed in the marketplace, there is no workplace. And HR should help build success in that marketplace. HR should serve the investors. That could be debt or it could be equity. It could be a parent company. But if the investors don't invest in a company, there's no more company. HR should serve the communities. And so our sense is that one of the evolutions in HR is the creation of value for all the stakeholders. And, and that broadens the HR agenda. A second step in evolution is what does HR focus on? And I'm going to do a finger play for just a minute, if this is visual. For the last 30 years, 40, 50 years, HR has focused on people. Those are my fingers. Everything to do with people, hiring, training, development, paying, employee experience, retaining. Today, HR is also worried about my fists, the organization, the culture. It's not just the workforce, it's the workplace. It's not just the individual, it's the team. It's not just what happens to the competencies, it's the capabilities. We call that HR's agenda of human capability. And there's three. My fingers are the people. My fist is the organization. They come together with leadership. In China, this is a sign of respect. The other hand, by the way, if you put the left hand over the right fist, it's a sign that I want to fight you. And I don't want to fight you. <laughs> so when HR creates value for stakeholders, do we have the people that our customers will be delighted to work with? Do we have an organizational culture? that reflects the brand promises to our customers? And do our leaders behave in a way that is consistent with customer value? So the first one is a sense of value creation. The second one is through human capability, talent, organization, and leadership. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant answer. I've taken a couple of notes. We'll come back to that. Very related question, David, very simple. How much is HR tech going to be part of this shift? What do you think? We have like a lot of ESMs. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, go on. You know, HR tech is an inevitability. I mean, it's how much will technology change our world? It is. It changes everything about our world. It changes what we eat. It changes how we eat. We order food that's delivered. We now have ways to monitor through QR codes what we eat. It changes the clothes we wear, the style. It's going to change HR. And there's some exciting new technology. We had Google replaced Wikipedia. Now we have Chad GTP that's becoming prevalent worldwide that begins to challenge Google and Wikipedia. And I think what technology is going to do is offer a real common baseline so that what happens in India transfers immediately to Uruguay, to Brazil, to the U.S., to London. And I think the technology creates literally a global village that we haven't seen before. We're going to see more of that technology. The challenge becomes using the technology to create value in the marketplace. We see that in marketing with customer information. We see that uh, companies now know customer preferences with some degree of detail, and they get that through Google and Amazon and all those databases. I think we're going to see that with employees. The technology will enable us to personalize the employee relationship and really know my interest and my style and what works for me. Technology is clearly one of the key enablers. 
Brilliant, brilliant. Like I actually had another question before, but since you've led here, is there a role that IT plays in this? One of the things that you've written about constantly is about how to work together, right? And so as you refer to this, that there is technology coming in, like how much can software play a role here in this bringing this into the company or into HR as a process? You know, it's not just hardware, software, it's mindware. And this is the image I used to teach in the 90s and 10 years ago. You had three circles that created HR, the business. Do we know the business, how we make money? The ability to manage change, that's organizational development, change processes, and HR. And there were three circles that intersected. Business and HR, strategic HR. Change, can we implement? Now there's a fourth circle, and it's IT and data that you have business, where are we going? How do we succeed in the marketplace? You have HR tools, hiring, training, development, organization. You have change tools. How do we implement? How do we make it happen? And now we've got data and IT tools. And the intersection of those four circles becomes a Venn diagram. I think you've got to manage the four. You can't just do IT and HR without the strategy. You can't do IT and HR without the ability to implement it and change. So I think those four circles now become the Venn diagram, the image of what we'll do in HR, business, HR, change, and IT or technology. Very cool. Very cool. I, I think this was what we were thinking about, you know, when we were discussing about building atomic work. But here's another question in this, because you've written about this again, like you've spoken now about how this is the fourth pillar that we have to bring in. How does this intersect with, you know, your concept of how business and HR leaders you know, have to simplify complexity. I was intrigued by that. Like we were reading about it at work and we were very intrigued by that. And, and like you've got into it, like I've already gotten some explanation of it, but can you like delve a little bit deeper into that in the context of what we spoke about? I love the idea of starting with a simple question. So imagine a diamond, the simple question, how do we succeed in the marketplace? That's a very simple question. The wide angle of the diamond is all the options. We can hire people, train people, incent people, communicate with people, restructure, hybrid work. We got all these options. The bottom part of the diamond is where do you prioritize? Where do you then focus? And to me, the logic of simplifying complexity is to start with a great question, to do a complex analysis of the alternatives, and then do a simple distillation of what we should be doing. And technology lets us do that through the analytics we do, through the data we collect, We've been doing some really interesting data research to say in the human capability area, talent, organization, leadership, and my forearms are HR. That's the framework for HR going forward that we've seen. There are 37 initiatives. That's the wide angle of a diamond. So where do you focus? Out of those 37 things, what's going to work best in my company? Mm -hmm. And that's not a best practice. That's a guidance system for my company and what we should do. How do you answer that question? You need technology. You need data. You need information that allows you to prioritize. We do that in investing. I know, Sai, if, if you were very, very wealthy, you'd have all these investments you could make. You could do Bitcoin. You could do equities. You could do long-term, short-term stocks and bonds in different countries around the world. How do you know? Well, you begin to build an algorithm that knows your preferences, your risk quotient, your style, and then you focus your priorities based on your choices. That's what we're seeing happening in HR, that the technology enables us to be complex. There's a lot of options. And then to be simple, how do we prioritize the ones that work for us? Oh, that's great, Dave. Thank you so much for that answer. Like something that you said about 
companies having their sort of having to build their own systems to make it work for them rather than having this one size fits all. I, I know you've spoken about that as well. You don't like how one size fits all works. The concept is really interesting. In the information age, I think we've seen three stages. I'm going to say this again because I think it'll be recorded and I'm not sure it's picking up with the technology. In the information age, we've seen three stages. Mm -hmm. And in HR, we're addicted. Stage one is benchmark. Mm -hmm. Everybody loves to know, how do I compare with someone else? What's my employee ratio? What's my morale ratio? What's my turnover ratio? Mm -hmm. Benchmarking is not a bad idea. The second stage is best practice. Everybody loves to say, so what's the company I should go study? The problem is that's not my company. Mm. I don't want a benchmark to be as good as somebody else. I don't want to do a best practice somebody else has. The third stage is predictive analytics. Why are they a best practice? So we love to benchmark. Here's some data. We love the best practice. Here's who's good. Here's why they're good. I think the fourth stage is guidance for your company. Mm. What works for you? In that simplified complexity of all the things you could focus on, what will work for you? Here's an example that's really simple. And those who know me and have followed me, my weight's gone up and my weight's gone down. You don't have that problem, but I've had that problem for much of my life. I have a great friend, one of my closest friends, and he said, Dave, you should run more and it will help you be more healthy. That's a best practice. And I look at my friend lately and I say, you know, that works for you. You should do that. Mm. It doesn't happen to work for me for a whole host of reasons. But it doesn't work for me the way it works for you. Somebody else's best practice doesn't need to be mine. And what technology lets us do is it says that can be your best practice because of your, your, your genetic makeup, your bias. My best practice is not to run as much. It's to do some other things with exercise. It may be biking. It may be wrestling. It may be weightlifting and it may be something else. I think in HR, benchmarking is not a bad idea. We know what others do. Best practice is not a bad idea. We know who's good. Predictive analytics, why are they good? But what I'm really interested in, what do I need to do to get better? And we call that guidance. We call that guidance. And I think that's where the HR field is beginning to head. We want to give a company guidance based on your goals and what you want to try to accomplish. Brilliant, brilliant. Thanks, thanks, Dave. So one of the problems that we at Atomic Work have been coming up with as part of the product research is how different, you know, departments, the back end, what we call like, you know, the HR, IT and definitely business ops uh, have not been great at sort of like interacting with each other and talking to each other. You've referred to this, that this does not give a great experience for employees, right? And you said about how the coming decade was when employee experience was going to be as important as customer experiences. Why do you think this is happening firstly? Well, one of the things that we love to look at is employee experience. Everybody believes in good employee experience. I mean, who doesn't believe people are a critical part of any company? And the employee experience is what drives that people fuel. That's the fuel that drives the company. What's fascinating in the research, and again, where data and technology and evidence is so helpful, employee experience is almost always a lead indicator of customer experience. And again, the goal is to succeed with customers. I want my customers from whatever company, I want my customer to feel that I'm meeting their needs in a very effective way. That employee experience drives that customer experience. And when we create more committed employees, we have more committed customers. A, a stupid example where I'm living uh, just before this conversation, I went to a grocery store. We've all been to a grocery store. It's a somewhat impersonal agenda because yeah, you buy your food, you check out. 
And a lot of places, they now have technology to check out. But I went through a checkout line. The woman looked at me and she said, how are you tonight, my evening? Are you having a good day? What a silly, simple comment that took less than 30 seconds. But there was a bit of a connection. I think that employee enjoyed her job because she felt like she was connecting with these customers, simply putting food in bags. Mm -hmm. And it left me with a good experience. As I left, she said, I hope you have a good evening. Singapore. It is so interesting. I don't know if you've flown through Singapore. You go through the customs line and almost always in Singapore, the customs agent, when you enter a country, will say, welcome to our country. We hope you have a great experience here. I don't get that in a lot of countries. I, I go, to, I travel quite a bit. Some of the countries I go into, the customs person feels like they're there to stop me from coming in. Who are you going to see? Where are you going to stay? Do you have any food? Singapore, they look welcome. And I think the way that we can build the employee experience is a lead indicator of what we want to be doing with the customer experience. And when we manage that outside in, it's where we started our discussion. I want to build customer connection from the employee experience. And when I do that, both succeed, both succeed. That's the logic for me that when we talked about talent as part of the human part of human capability, I want my people to have a great experience at work so that my customers have a great experience so that I get more revenue so that my investors have a better experience. And the log, the more we can begin to build that virtuous, I call it a spiral, not a cycle. A cycle goes in circles. The spiral gets better. And the more that we can build that, the better off the employee is, the better off the customer is, the better off the investor is. That's the hope. Awesome. I think I'm going to use that in the marketing for the podcast, employee experience is leading indicator of like customer experience. I think everybody will sort of relate with that almost immediately. So in a recent interview, Dave, you said, and I quote, now is the time to reinvent HR by pivoting from benchmarking and best practice to guidance. And we spoke about guidance just a little bit. Now, what did you mean by this quote, reinvent HR and pivoting it? Uh, what, what did you mean by that, Dave? You know, for me, reinventing HR is, I said there were two trends when we started. One is outside in, HR is about creating value in the marketplace through human capability. That's the second one. The third trend is you got to reinvent the HR. You got to build the right HR department. You got to build the right HR practices, the right HR analytics, the right HR people. And HR is going to be one of the lead indicators, I think, of a company being successful in the marketplace. And so HR needs to model. One of the things I've seen is sometimes HR, what's called, and I don't know the metaphor in India, you probably have great metaphors, the cobbler's children who don't have shoes. Uh, and yeah, how many of you are getting a, a positive performance conversation? We ask that of our business leaders. I like to ask it of the HR people. And when we model in HR what we want other people to do, we are likely to be more successful. There was a religious leader in the 1100s who made a line. He happened to be a Christian. And he said, we preach the gospel and sometimes we use words. HR preaches human capability, but we have to model it. We don't, we don't teach it by words. We teach it by example. And that's the reinvention of HR. We've also studied that. We love research. We love the data that you guys are going to create at Atomic and it's going to be great for all of us. What makes a great HR department? Everybody loves to look at the structure. Do we have centers of expertise with specialists? Do we have generalists? We've done work on that. In our research, the two keys to a great HR department that creates value in the business, number one, we have a clear purpose. Our purpose is to help the business succeed. 
call it mission, vision, values, whatever you want to call your HR purpose, but we're here to help your company succeed. And number two, we have great working relationships. We know how to work with each other. We support each other. We build each other. It's not about the roles. It's about the relationships that connect us with each other. Those two premises, are we shaping the business success and are we managing the relationships that make that work become key? Let me give one example of the first one. I teach a course, I'm privileged to teach a course at the University of Michigan for HR executives who come in for two weeks. A recent course on the Thursday of the second week, they're getting ready to go home and one of the delegates says, I'm excited. I'm going to talk about the new ideas on leadership when I go to my business team. Another says, I'm going to talk about diversity. Another, I'm going to talk about culture, skill-based organization. And they're all excited. And I stop and I say, we have failed you. And they go, what? I've been here for two weeks. You're teaching me all these new ideas, leadership, culture, technology. When you go into a business meeting, do not start with leadership, diversity, technology, or culture. Start with the business. What does our business need to do to succeed? I had a call today with the uh, CHRO in a very good company. And she said, let me show you my HR plan for this year. And she held it up. And I said, let me ask you a question. On the first page of your HR plan, the first PowerPoint, the first page, does it have the goals of the business? We want to succeed in the marketplace. We want to be innovative through innovation. We want to make this kind of money. We want to grow this market share. We want to have this community reputation. I said, I'm going to bet your HR plan starts with HR. Don't start with HR. What's the business issue that we're wrestling with today? Is it cost? Is it innovation? Is it distribution? Is it technology? Is it supply chain? HR's job is to help make that happen. And I would go one step deeper. Business is broad. Customer, what am I going to do today in HR so that a customer will be more likely to buy my product tomorrow? What a simple question. People, am I hiring the people who my customer wants to have a relationship with? Culture, am I building a set of values that create value for my customer? Leadership, are my leaders doing the things that my customer wants us to be doing? When we can begin to make that logic happen, that's where HR really builds more value. Thank you so much, Dave. That's another brilliant line. Start with the business. Like, what are your plans you're making? What are the strategies you're making? Start with the business. I wanted to ask you, Dave, about, you know, um, what's been happening right now in the tech space. There's like a bunch of uh, layoffs and restructuring happening and HR is facing all of this. And this is a good time for us to sort of like think about or at least like for you to tell HR or at least to advise HR about how they should be thinking about this and if they should be prepping in any way to deal with this like both as a professional and in a way that, you know, they're looking at that industry. You know, it's always interesting. There's always economic cycles of growth and decline. That's just an inevitability. It's interesting that we're, we may be now entering a cycle of some decline and much in the tech industry are with Microsoft and Google and some of the larger global firms. I don't know as much about local India firms. There are lessons learned about managing productivity in a downturn three or four lessons have become so critical. And let me share them that we've learned over, I'm old enough to have been through many of these ups and downs. They're inevitable. They're a part of business. One is look at them for an opportunity. Some of the most poignant times of gaining market share are when markets are down because well-managed companies can invest and grow while others may be declining. So see that as an opportunity. Number two, if you need to let people go, And sometimes labor costs are too high. That's a reality. 
be gracious, be kind. We all know that. Treat your people well, but also be bold and be aggressive. One company a few years ago had a downturn and they announced in January that in June, they let 8% of their people go. Well, between January and June, 50% thought they were the 8% and the top 10% left. If you've got to do a downturn and there are times when you have to do it, that's part of the world we live in. Do it quickly, do it fairly, do it equitably. And then the third point is take care of those who stay. We've been involved in downturns and and in some work we did a number of years ago, the company ended up cutting 20% of their labor force. Again, we'd love to say you don't have to, sometimes you do. But what happened is the 80% of the people who stayed had to make up the 20% work. Use the downturn as an excuse to get rid of work. Don't just take out people, what reports, approvals, meetings, measures. What's the stuff we're doing that isn't creating value for our customer? And use the downturn as an excuse to reinvent yourself. Those would be some very quick tips. Again, I love HR. HR people love to say, oh, and some companies have done this brilliantly in the downturn. Everybody takes a 10% pay cut and keeps everybody employed. Great idea. Love it. Don't do that forever. But those kind of ideas are really good. And they're very creative because you want to use the downturn as an opportunity. You want to be bold. You want to be fair. But you want to make sure that you manage those who stay. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense, Dave. So before we wrap up, I wanted to ask something that I know that a lot of HR professionals want to ask you and professionals in this field want to ask you. Yours has been an absolutely stellar career. You've shaped HR leadership and thought across decades now, like at least like, you know, like I've seen you like over a decade at least. And you've seen several business cycles. Are there any learnings that you'd want to share with our listeners? Like mostly they'll be HR people as well as like, you know, IT people. Or is that even a secret ingredient to keep producing the kind of work, the kind of great work that you've gone on producing? Again, you're kind. Let me share a personal experience a year ago. It's uh, January. My wife and I take some time to renew and reconnect with each other because we're both quite busy. And so last January, we were sitting in a rental house near the ocean and saying, the world is uncertain. It's where we started. Are we going to see growth? Are we going to see decline? Are we going to do travel? Are we not going to do travel? Because I traveled. What kind of work is she going to do? She's very active in her organization, but it's going through some change. My world is changing. We were obsessed for a week or two with uncertainty. And then one morning, and I'm sitting in the same house today. We rent this house for a few weeks a year. It hit me. Don't chase the uncertainty. Start with certainty. What do you know for sure, no matter what happens? Political toxicity in the U.S., economic downturn. Inflation, deflation, globalization, health may go bad. No matter what happens, what are you certain about based on your values and what matters to you? I thought about that for a few days. I am certain that I want to learn. What's going to happen? I have no idea, but I'm going to learn from it. My health may go bad. My friend's health may go bad. Some tragedy may happen. The economy may go good. It may go bad. An idea may work. It may not work. I'm going to learn from it. And for me, my certainty is a commitment to learn. And number two, in a way that helps others get better, that creates value for them. That's mine. If I were giving you advice, I'd ask you to find your certainty in IT, in HR. What are you personally certain about, no matter what happens with your family, your life, your job, your career, your faith? What are you certain about? And do the same with your organization. What are we as a company certain about? 
We'll treat people with dignity. We may fire them. We may have to let them go. We're going to do it with dignity. I'm certain we'll do that. I like the idea, and my counsel to folks lately is, in a world of more uncertainty, we have to have increased certainty. We have to know the things that are part of who we are and live them. Anyway, that's a personal experience sitting in this place where we are right now that happened a year ago. And it was really helpful for us because we couldn't have predicted what's going to happen last year. We're there again this January and we're saying, what's going to happen next year? And we're going, I have no idea. Will we travel to India twice or 20 times? I don't know. Will we go to Europe? Will we get to go to Spain and see Sai in Spain? Will we meet you on an airplane? I don't know. But I am certain that I'm going to try to learn from it. I'm certain of that. And I'm going to try to help others. Now, that's mine. I hope people listening to this have their certainty in a world of uncertainty. So what's your hope for the next year? What are you certain about? Listeners will want to hear from you. Oh, thank you so much for that, Dave. I didn't expect to be asked this question, but I'm certain about great work. I think one of the things that you referred early in the conversation is value. And if, like, for example, as part of the Atomic Work team, I'm able to provide some kind of value to the professionals that we're building this product for, I think it'll be a good year. You know, I love that. I mean, you're certain that I'm going to work to help others get better. I don't know what that means. It may be a podcast. It may be an article. It may be a talk. It may be a consulting assignment. But I'm going to try to get somebody else better. I see people right now making lists. This is HR 2023. And I don't know what 2023 is going to be. Is it going to be uh, someone I talked to today said, I'm really trying to uncover new ideas in performance management. Somebody else said skill-based organization. Somebody said culture. Somebody said agility. I don't know. But I do know that there are some things you're certain about. And, and I love what you just said. You're certain that whatever the tool is, you're going to try to use it to help others improve. That is a marvelous, marvelous example of focusing on certainty in a world of uncertainty. Well said. That was helpful for me. Thank you. That's a great place to end. Thank you so much, Dave. Thanks so much for speaking to us. And I'm sure that, you know, listeners will take a lot away from this. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Atomic Conversations. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please help the podcast reach more of your colleagues by sharing it and rating us on your favorite podcast app. If you have suggestions for future guests on the show or folks you'd like me to speak to, you can email me at sai at atomic.work. That's S-A-I at atomic.work. Also, the next episode of Atomic Conversations is with ITSM veteran Alan Bergson. And we have a lot of fun talking about the world of IT and employee experience. So do remember to subscribe. Atomic Conversations is brought to you by atomic.work, where we are building the smart employee experience platform for the modern enterprise. I look forward to meeting you again soon. Until then, this is Sai Ramakrishnan signing off. Music